Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 144 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 144 pitches thrown by Jason Schmidt in a complete game shutout in 2004 against the Cubs. One to nothing was the final. You know, Felipe Alou really believed that your arm got stronger the more pitches you threw. <laughs> I believe that that uh, Jim Brower has uh, has like, uh, you know... Um, Massive guns in his right arm now because uh, of how often he threw. <laughs> different times, different times. I mean, uh, Jason Schmidt was uh, in absolute terror when he was right. But just to think about, yeah, complete game, you know, 144 pitches, go out there and get them. That's, I don't know. Like, I, I lived through that. I was an adult when that happened. And it seemed reasonable to a lot of people at, at the time. You know, one of the greatest Giants games that doesn't get talked about enough is Jason Schmidt's 16 strikeout game and, and where he struck out the Marlins and the ninth to close it out that was just that was high theater that was really a great game and 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 uh i mean the guy would have won the Cy Young award if it wasn't for you know eric gagne being perfect uh uh in a a a very large season in which he was um retaining lots of fluids so uh (laughs) so yeah pour one out for jason schmidt all right but once again we're not here to reminisce about giants of yore we're here to talk about the giants of today and uh the the giants are are still winning i mean we're recording this on monday afternoon so it's following a, a you know kind of a a dull loss to the A's on Sunday. At the same time, the A's came in as a good team. The Giants, it was a much hyped matchup and the Giants played very, very well yet again, winning another series yet again. This time it was with fans in the stands, like a lot of them. And so it had a, a really different vibe and the Giants acquitted themselves pretty darn well. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, they, they've gone from winning in kind of, you know, boring fashion with really good starting pitching and uh, some timely hits and, you know, or maybe have the occasional, uh, um, you know, big inning and, and blowing a team out, uh, or, or, or winning with uh, you know the bullpen uh, protecting a tight lead. Just you know they've won in a lot of different ways, but now they're winning in just silly ways. You know, like walk offs by the backup catcher, and and uh, I mean, yeah, the, the last Wednesday's game at Anaheim is still you know sort of bouncing around in my brain. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, it was starting to feel like. You know, this is pretty wild. They're, they're just not losing. and But now, you know what? I mean, you can – it really doesn't take much to stop any team's momentum, even a really good team. And uh, they had a pretty quiet loss on uh, on Sunday against the A's. They're starting to look a little prone against left-handed pitching for a number of reasons. And now they've got 
uh, Trevor Bauer and Walker Bueller. And if they uh, if they get swept in these two games, then they would have a three-game losing streak for, for just the second time all year. So I think you're always looking to generate some new momentum, uh, you know, even if you, you just won a series. One thing that I've been noticing is that slowly but surely, the Giants are starting to get these contributions from players like Asali. Uh, Wilmer Flores is starting to have some Wilmer Flores games. Uh, you're, you're going with uh, Alex Dickerson starting to come around a little bit. Donovan Solano's adjusted OPS is up to 98 now, which means he's you know, a pretty average hitter, which considering where he was coming from, that's good news. The Giants as a whole are just, you know, a lot of their players are coming around to the point where you can just point to a couple of guys like Slater, Devon, uh, Talkman, you know, that aren't quite on board yet. For the most part, though, they have a lot of cylinders humming right now. You know, they do. And I think that they're still really good against right-handed pitching. Um, you know, whether it's Lamont Wade Jr. stepping up or Mikey Stremski and Alex Dickerson, you know, kind of getting into a little bit of a groove. Uh, I mean, you know, Dickerson's getting three hits off of Tani uh, in Anaheim. Showed you that he's getting pretty close. And I talked to him the other day at the batting cage, and he was really excited with where, where, where he's at. Um, and, you know, what I wrote about the other day, though, is, you know, against lefties, and they made a lot of hay in, in June, but they didn't have to face lefties. I mean, they went, I think, 17 games and faced a lefty once uh, in one stretch. And and Austin Slater didn't play a whole lot because of that. And, and you know, a lot of their uh, right-handed hitters didn't play a lot. Darren Ruff came back, but Slater is four for 36 with, you know, 12 Ks and, and a walk in, in, in the month of June. And Evan Longoria, the guy who had a 1.264 OPS against lefties. They're missing him now because you put Wilmer Flores at third base. Okay. You sacrifice some defense, but you also, that means you have Darren Ruff playing first base instead of the outfield. And all of a sudden the the Giants outfield is just very, very imbalanced toward lefty hitters. I mean, uh, you're going to be starting two lefties out there in the outfield against a left-handed pitcher, which, you know, Yastrzemski is good against lefties. So that's not the end of the world, but you're starting to see that they don't quite match the best version of themselves against lefty pitchers. So, uh, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to see, you know, what they do because they will have uh, some internal moves that they could make. This is a good point because if you're going to poke at one problem that the Giants currently have right now for a while, it was just, oh, the bullpen, the bullpen, the bullpen. But when you have Dubon and Slater not hitting, it becomes really obvious in with Longoria out of the lineup, they really do struggle against lefties. And it's a matter of, you know, how much trust should they have in Slater specifically? I think Dubon, you know, he's going to be versatile. He's going to have his value in, in certain ways, even if he's not hitting that much. But Slater is like the guy against lefties, along with Ruff and Flores. You are counting a lot on Slater to be the best version of himself. And so far, we're just not seeing it. And I'm wondering how long the Giants can go on, because we know that when Slater can get cold, he can get really, really cold like he did in September 2019. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, you know, he's he's a smart guy. He knows what he's going to have to do to fix it. Probably what he just needs is some regular playing time. If you look at what he has done against lefties, he's got five homers in uh, 91 plate appearances, 78 at-bats, but but batting just 205, 319 on base, a little bit on the low side for him. So a lot of what the damage they're doing is is just home runs and, and not much else against lefties. So you could say the same thing for Brandon Crawford. He's in 185 against lefties, but but he's got five home runs against them. So And it'll sort of be interesting to see how many lefties they'll face uh, in what remains before the All-Star break. But, you know, they got Jalen Davis, who is hitting at AAA. He's, what, about 12 games into his rehab assignment. And he's coming up on on the 20-day maximum, I think, on Tuesday. So, you know, they could always add him back to the 40-man off the 60-day and and then just option him back to Sacramento. But this is a front office that really has kept to a pledge of, you know, you keep your nose in there, you keep performing, 
you give us a reason to call you up and we will give you an opportunity. And so you wonder if they might look to swap some pieces. I mean, they, they could. This is a good point. And it's also, I mean, they're going to have to figure this out within the next month because I don't think it's it's too outlandish to, to suggest that if the Giants are, are still having problems against lefties, uh, problems putting the lineup out there that they want to put out there against left-handed uh, pitching, that they might that might be a, a way to explore the trade deadline because uh, a lefty masher, a right-hander who mashes lefties. That's usually not something something that's going to cost you a top prospect at the deadline. That's that's usually the kind of player who moves in the minor deals. And if the Giants are still humming along, still contending, still doing what they're doing without Austin Slater and Bond uh, kicking it into gear, that might be an avenue they explore. I mean, especially if Slater doesn't kind of turn it around, they're they're going to have to do a little something, I think, to kind of balance out. Uh, the the righty leftiness of their of their outfield because I mean it's just so left handed right now and you know if you have guys who are everyday players who hit everybody um, and you have a bunch of Mookie bets then of course you play them every day and I think Mike Yastrzemski probably falls in the category of a guy who you play every day regardless um, but uh, beyond that not really in that outfield so yeah you do wonder if if they'll uh, if they'll explore trying to get somebody who can uh, who can mash lefties. But uh, the way that we're talking, it makes it sound like, oh, the Giants have so many problems. And then figure <laughs> this out, you know, it, it, it's easy just to, to when you have so few problems to laser focus on what you might uh, what might be going wrong. But let's take this opportunity to talk about something that's going very, very right. And it's it's one of the things that. Listen, I was not expecting this. Of all the unexpectedness this season, I kind of expected Crawford uh, because of how he finished last year. Uh, the hope was that Buster Posey, you know, once he's healthy, a year off, a little bit fresher, you know, maybe not do this well, but do well. Did not see Steven Duggar coming at all. And mm. he has been driving the lineup in a lot of different ways, including just tremendous at-bats and extra innings. I mean, he's just, he's looking like not just a, a good solid piece, but like an everyday player right now. I mean, it's, it really has been amazing. And the strikeouts are, you know, they're, they're up there. Um, but, you know, he's also walking more. And uh, you take the strikeouts if, if you can also get a little more on base percentage. And, and obviously he's driving the baseball. And what he's doing in, in center field is just, I mean, we all knew that he was a plus defensive player and, and he really does look fantastic out there. And I mean, not just the catches he makes, but some of the cutoffs that he's made uh, to hold, hold guys to singles. And, and maybe they've happened in an inning with two outs and then the next guy, you know, strikes out and he, he doesn't really make it a difference in, in the box score or in the final final accounting. But I mean, some of, some of the cutoffs that he's made have been just, I, I, I've never seen a giant center fielder as good as him at getting the balls in the gaps and cutting them off and, 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 and holding a guy, uh, you know, to, to 90 feet instead of 180. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And one thing that I noticed with him is that there was the hot streak and he's hitting and he's hitting, he's hitting for power, he's hitting for average. And then it, right around that road trip, uh, Texas and Washington, it just all dried up. I think he had uh, 10 strikeouts in five games and, th- and 13 plate appearances. And he was just, he was hitting the slump that everyone had quietly been waiting for. And he thought, okay, well, you know, now he's back to the Stephen Duggar we know. Since then, he's been better. You know, it's just, it's three hit game it's two hit game it is uh he's walked let's see i pull up the stats in his last 39 plate appearances he's walked eight times and struck out three that mm. is like that's but that's that is upper echelon type stuff and again 39 plate appearances that that's a small sample but we're talking a different player performing as well as anyone could have possibly imagined. Yeah, it's and a credit to him, you know, because and a credit to the Giants too, because I, I think I, I, I've dropped this line before, but he very easily could have been another organization's Mike Yastrzemski if mm-hmm. the Giants had, had DFA'd him, you know, or or, or um, anytime they needed a, a, a roster space and and they decided that he was the guy that they would sort of uh, sacrifice to the DFA gods, and and they they kept him, they kept him around, and I think it's probably his his premium defense in center field that is uh, is what allowed them to do that. But um, but yeah, he's worked really hard, and you can tell just talking to the other people in in uh, the dugout, uh, his teammates, coaches, they're all so happy for him. Um, you know, not just because it's been a long road for him, but just because of his attitude and how hard he's worked and. You know, I, I wrote a feature on him in spring training a couple of years ago where we talked about his family and, and just his family is amazing. His mom, you know, uh, ended up raising, raising him pretty much by herself after uh, his dad passed away when he was a kid. And, and his sister is just like a, a, a softball version of him, uh, just a tough kid. Uh, and now she's, uh, she's in dental school. Um, so, uh, she'll, she'll be the one inflicting pain, I guess, instead, <laughs> instead of having a pain, pain tolerance, but, uh, just, just a really, really neat family. You can tell how, how supportive they are of each other. And, and, uh, so knowing their story a little bit, I think has, has made it cool for me, for me personally, just to watch what he's been doing this year. One thing. So the giants won the series against the, the athletics over the weekend. And that's part of the story. But for me, one of the coolest parts of the story, and I know you, you had some of these vibes too on Friday. Uh, was that the crowd? There was a crowd and it was a crowd, I think, that wasn't taking a whole lot of baseball for granted. It was a crowd that wanted to be there, that had been waiting. And, and there have been crowds before the season, but it was always sparse because of the, the limitations that were put on. Now it's just opened up the ballparks back and it was a loud, intense crowd. And I think it caught it caught me off guard. Did it catch you off guard on Friday? Like when it was finally opened up, like, whoa, this is even better than we we might have thought. Yeah, I was really curious what what it was going to be like. You know, you knew it wasn't going to be a sellout, but you know, were they going to get twenty five thousand, thirty thousand? It turned out to be about thirty six thousand. And uh, you know, there's no vaccinated sections. There's no distanced pod sections. Um, I think you made the point that when there's a foul ball anywhere hit into the stands, there's a scrum for it. There's a fight for it now. It's not clanking around empty seats and and uh, and someone picks it up half heartedly. So. It, yeah, it, it just seems like when you get to those big moments and everyone is is, is reacting at once, um, that that's that's just what you remember, and it brings you back to so many of the big moments that that we have experienced in person at that ballpark, World Series moments, and uh, you know pennant clinching moments, and and no hitters, and and uh, n- none of that happened over the weekend, but but just sort of 
seeing everyone in unison and just, I mean, seeing everybody's faces, seeing their expressions. Um, you know, it, there were just very, very few reminders that, you know, um, that, that things are still getting back to normal. It really did seem kind of like before times. And, you know, there's still some things they got to figure out. There and a lot of concession stands were not open. They're, they're having some problems ramping up with staffing, uh, which I think a lot of industries uh, are, are in, uh, dealing with that right now. There were no vendors um, uh, sort of patrolling the stands. Um, so, you know, who knows if that's going to come back sometime soon. I know nobody's going to care about this but me, but there's no media dining room yet. So, you know, that's a big problem. Um <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it really did seem like, you know, you were going out there to cover a Giants game. You weren't going out there to cover this weird version of, of baseball that's being done with all of these rules to, to keep everybody safe. And, and of course, us being able to be back on the field and talk to players again is, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, what we're all here for. So, um, from, from my perspective, that that's just been great. Yeah, if you are listening to this and you are on the fence and still a little bit hesitant as far as everything opening up back fully, uh, you should be prepared. It is, like you said, like the before times, for better and for worse. It was... Um, a lot of unmasked people, and that is, you know, listen, if you're va- vaccinated, that's what the CDD says, that you don't have to wear a mask, and uh, San Francisco's close to herd immunity as a city. Uh, they're saying, you know, 70, 80 per- percent, perhaps. Uh, so it, there's a lot that goes into this. I just, it's still really weird for me to walk around in close quarters uh, with a lot of people without masks on. And I know the science. I know the general region and, and uh, there's there's less vaccine hesitancy here. At the same time, it's still really, really, really weird for me. Is it is it weird for you? Um, yes and no, because, you know, I just I just had a, a day of travel here to get to, to L.A. for the, the series at Dodger Stadium and. Boy, I, I realize how much I miss rental car shuttles. Oh, I just love them. <laughs> Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. They're just they're so much fun. Um, yeah, so I, I got in about four hours later than I was supposed to uh, due to a number of factors uh, and, and, and landed to some lovely Southern California traffic. But but uh, but but here again, it's the most minor complaints because you know we're back on the road, we're back traveling. People are wearing masks by federal mandate on uh, on the planes, and everyone's compliant, and everything was fine. Um, you know, I, I have uh, people in my family that are not vaccinated, and I will not meet with them because I'm going in crowded stadiums. I am on planes. Who knows, you know, what flew up my nose and <laughs> that I might breathe out, you know. But um, uh, for me, my concern is is pretty minimal just because, you know, like you said, I've, I've been vaccinated and, and I, I believe in the science. Uh, I believe in, in the guidelines we've been given. And, um, you know, I'm still going to wash my hands. I still don't want to... I still don't want to catch a cold or anything like that, but um, but yeah, you know, it's it's you know that there are people out there who are not vaccinated that are not wearing masks because they just don't give a flying f. But um, you almost can't worry about that, you know. It's uh, it, it's um, you just do the responsible thing for yourself. Yeah, it just it's I, I know the science and what everything you're saying makes total total sense. It's just it's just so weird. It's, it's such a, a reversal of 180 that the brain has to do, and it was it did a quick 180 last March. And it feels like it's like trying to turn a, a, a train around and, and trying to do a three-point turn. It's just not going to happen that quickly. And I don't know. I think I, it's something that I just have to deal with. I, I'm just 
thrilled that the crowds are back, that there's been a walk-off now in front of people as opposed to uh, the Padres walking it off in front of cardboard at Oracle Park. It just feels a lot more natural. Yeah, I I still think that, you know, I'm not going to go places that are just not essential. My definition of what's essential has changed quite a bit. I think going to a a ball game for your mental health is uh, essential. You know, now maybe it wasn't essential a year ago, but... um, you know, is it essential for me to go, you know, drink indoors in a crowded bar? Probably not. You know, I can, uh, I can, you know, go have a meal outside or something anyway. But, but yeah, I think, you know, to, to go to the, the ball game, um, it's, it's something that was an important part of your life and something that's going to bring you joy and pleasure to, to be there. Then, yeah. Go for it. All right. Let's talk more good, decent stuff about the Giants because they are winning. I'm looking at the bullpen right now. We've we've talked a lot about the bullpen uh, in, in recent months, and it's been an obvious flashpoint for the 2021 Giants. It's starting to look like a version that they can manage and manage well, where you've got Tyler Rogers and Jake McGee sort of alternating uh, the ninth inning, depending on matchups. Uh, you have Dominic Leone, you have uh, Harlan Garcia pitching well, John Brebia is back and looking like the the pitcher the Giants had hoped he would be. Jimmy Scherfe is looking solid. Jose Alvarez, uh, you know, he hasn't been as dominant as perhaps they would have hoped, but he's starting to come around a little bit. It feels like there are fewer and fewer question marks as the season is going along, which is part of the plan. But uh, I don't know. Am I overrating the bullpen? I mean, I, I think that they've got a lot of places they can pivot to. But so far, you know, John Brebby has looked pretty good. I mean, his first outing, I think he got away with a few mistakes. But um, he's a guy that they really thought could be a key member of things. The one guy you didn't mention is Zach Littell, who got off to a really nice start. And, and then he's had he's had some rough ones lately. So he may be moved down in the pecking order a little bit. Um, but no, you know, I think that they've, they still have, uh, some options. They still have some ways that they can improve this group. And I'm sure they're going to look to improve this group, especially if they can find someone who can really be a hammer in the ninth inning. Uh, it's too bad the Cubs are doing so well because Craig Kimbrell will be a perfect guy for them. Um, and that would allow, you know, McGee and Rogers to even, uh, you know, be used a little more judiciously, uh, instead of eighth and ninth, maybe it's seventh and eighth and you make everybody better. Um, but, um, I tell you what, what I'm most excited about is to engage John Brebbia in some more conversation, particularly about coffee. <laughs> I would love to talk coffee with him. We we were talking on Slack yesterday because uh, I cannot – I mentioned on Twitter that John Brebbia looked like uh, he was someone who had opinions about Grateful Dead uh, bootleg concerts. And someone replied back like, hey, uh, he really likes coffee. You know, maybe Bags should talk uh, talk about coffee with him. And I thought, like, well, that's a weird re- response to this. Uh, let me investigate. And so I went on YouTube and John Brebbia had his own little show on the Cardinals channel about coffee. And I don't want to like spoil it. Like, I think it's something you should watch, but it, the best explanation is, is very Brian Wilson adjacent in the best possible way. Like it, it's, it's a weird kind of funny, but it's not over the top and it's not trying to be hard. I think he's just trying to be John Brebian. It, it's really, really funny. So um, I guess his players weekend nickname, you know, where everybody had their nicknames on the back of their Jersey and, and, uh, um, I guess, you know, Rich Hill went with Dick Mountain and wh- whoever else. So so he went with Brebbia. He said that's been his nickname since he was born. So why not? So it's, yeah, that's, I think he's just, he likes the ironic humor. He's a little bit zany. Um, he definitely uh, uh, plays a character, I think a little bit, but, but fewer props, fewer props than Brian Wilson. Um, I was watching him in the bullpen in Anaheim the other day uh, because I was told, hey, watch him in the bullpen, see what he does because, you know, 
you'll do some interesting stuff. And he finishes, he tosses his last one. And then he, he's, he's flapping his hand and waving goodbye to everybody as he's walking out down the tunnel to go on the field. You know, like, bye. You know, like he's a seven-year-old waving goodbye to grandma at the, the you know, the, door, the, the window of the, of the Volvo. So, yeah, he, he's definitely a different guy. And I think we're going to probably see a little more of his personality come out. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is actually a good uh, opportunity for us to talk about this because it feels like in recent years, as time has gone on, it's easier to retroactively dismiss Brian Wilson and the personality he brought um, because at one point there was a, a little bit of oversaturation and a tipping point where it's, you know, black ops and, and the commercials and the machine and all this stuff. And it became at one point a little bit like, okay, okay, guy. At the same time, I think everyone should remember a little bit more that it was fun to have a goofball like that uh, just kind of pop up. It's it's always fun to have at least one or two goofballs just because it's different. And, and baseball isn't always about being different. Yep. Yeah. And he would say that things were delicious. Uh, his, his, his cleats that he got fined for that now anybody could wear because everybody wears fancy cleats. Uh, he said he got fined because they were too much awesome. Um, you know, he just had a way of speaking that was, I mean, it was funny. He was a funny guy. And and he would lay it on pretty thick, obviously, as he started to, uh, you know, as he became known as, as the beard and, and won the World Series. And then all of a sudden you're, you, you turn on the TV and you got, these monsters are stacked. But uh, <laughs> um but yeah, you know, he, he was, he was somebody who was just, just different enough, I think, to be the guy who could throw that clinching pitch that no giant had ever thrown. You kind of needed to be a little bit off to, to, uh, to, to be the person who could come through in that moment against Ryan Howard or, uh, or against Nelson Cruz, who, by the way, that was the, the Giants won the World Series in 2010. We're talking 11 years ago and Nelson Cruz is still going. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. I was just look. I was just uh, while while you were talking earlier. I was looking up right-handers uh, and their splits against lefties. And Nelson Cruz is like the best right-handed hitter against lefties in the major leagues. So I don't know if the Giants have a place to put him, but but they could certainly use his bat. That is funny. No, I was. Uh, let's see, 2014, uh, 2015. I wrote this article about. Uh, Nelson Cruz is going to be the worst free agent signing of the offseason. And I, I laid out my case. It was like, look, the guy's going to be 34. He, he has no defensive value. At one point, the strikeouts are going to catch up with him. And I was so convinced he was going to be just a millstone around a, a team. And that was in 2014. He's 40. He's 40. And he's still 935 OPS right now. Is he going to hit until he's like 44? I know that this has nothing to do with the Giants podcast, but I'm fascinated by the dude, so I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we're talking enough about Nelson Cruz. I mean, you start to look at where he like ranks on the all-time leaders lists. I mean, he is up there uh, in, in a lot of categories. Um, it's like, like, let's see, active active home run leaders. Okay, here we go. Uh, okay, this guy, Albert Pools has got more. He's got 673. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera's got 492. There's Nelson Cruz with 434 career home runs. That's 100 more than anybody else. Uh, uh, Robinson Cano's next on the list with 334. So, um, yeah, it's his 17th year in the league. He's 40 years old. 
and he's still going. And and yeah, I, he looks like he could play as long as he wants to. The best part about that, what, you, what you're just citing, is yes, 434 career home runs. Entering his age 28 season uh, in 2009, so he's 28 years old going into spring training, he has 22 career home runs. And I guess that kind of ties into something like Duggar, where, you know, Duggar is, I think, 27 right now, 26, 27. At, at one point, you just get used to these players like, ah, this is just his his career is going to be like this. And you forget that, that sometimes players just take a while to get going. Nelson Cruz was definitely one of those guys. 22 home runs going into his age 28 season. OK, so he was born in, uh, on July 1st. So I don't have the exact pre and post birthday uh, stats here to be able to actually tell you how many home runs he hit in his 20s. But through the end of his age 29 season, he had 77 home runs. Do you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> um, as a 40-year-old, he has 17 home runs. Um, I would love for him to be the hitting equivalent of Randy Johnson and finish with more homers in his 40s than in his 20s. Like Randy has more wins in his 40s than in his 20s. Uh, it'd be a little, little, little bit of a stretch to get there, but uh, it'd be fun to root for him. Oh, man. That is good. I didn't know that about Randy Johnson. That I love that a heck stat. Of a stat. I, I love that stat. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Randy Johnson had more wins in his 40s than in his 20s. Yeah, I mean, it's Randy Johnson's like the all, all-time, you know, a player can change sort of pitcher because at one point he became a command and control artist and if you had watched him in his 20s let's see in when 1991 he's 27 years old he led the league with 152 walks and 201 innings that is unsustainable that is I've, i mean it, it's rare for any pitcher to do that and build any sort of career whatsoever and then he's there when he's 40 uh just you know he's he's still got the strikeout stuff he's he's striking out 300 batters uh, a season but now he's walking you know, 44 uh, and along with those 290 strikeouts. It is, that's one of my all-time favorite player transformations ever. I, and if you look at his minor league walk totals, they're even crazier. <laughs> oh, well, look at this. 1998 with Indianapolis. Okay, he had a lot of walks, but he also had 20 box that season. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's crazy. 1986, West Palm Beach, Florida. I think he's, he's pitching for Felipe Alou maybe then. He's 22 years old. Uh, 119 innings, 94 walks, and 13 wild pitches, and six hit batters. Oh my gosh, yeah. We need to do like a, a special episode this offseason about our favorite minor league seasons because that is up there. Uh, just, I mean, you look at him and you understand it. He's throwing uh, 99, 100 back when that was really, really rare. He's doing it from the left side. He's doing it in a way that uh, it's really, really hard to pick up the ball. So you, you see that uh, raw ore and you want to polish it into a diamond and you will give him 10 years to do it if if need be but boy that is as raw as a player could ever be and it's not like you know they found him working uh at, at at a law firm or something like he was a second round pick out of USC. Uh, he just, it just took him for a while for that component of gangly and, you know, that skeleton to be able to, to throw the way that he eventually ended up throwing. Yeah. I talked to him a while back for a story I was doing about Sean Jelly, who's, uh, you know, on the injured list right now at double a, but it was about tall pitchers and just how long it takes them to, to sort of iron out their mechanics. And I talked to Chris Young and it was a fascinating story. And, um, you know, Randy, he's a talker. He's turned into a talker. He, I remember him saying, well, I've got people over, so I, I've only got a minute for you. And then like 45 minutes, we hang up the phone. So, um, But yeah, getting to cover him uh, as a giant for the one year, his 300th win, that was that was a cool moment. And, and he was very much in this is your life mode then. So anytime you got him talking, he would just go and go and go. Uh, but uh, And can you imagine if they had spider tack back in Randy Johnson's heyday? 
Oh um, my god! Yeah, I, I think that the probably the ball would have bored a hole through the hole through the catcher's mitt. Oh, Mister Snappy! I don't even know that. That's like you can't even speak that into the world. Like Mister Snappy, even snappier. That, yeah. that would have killed someone. It, someone's vertebrae would have been ejected trying to swing at that. Now, and if you want segues, uh, we got uh, Trevor Bauer pitching against the the Giants to start the series at Dodger Stadium. Any thoughts? Why that is totally unrelated, and I don't know what you're getting at with that segue. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's it's also a great segue because I'd love to sit down and talk with Randy Johnson about like heavy metal. Uh, and I would uh, l- like to sit down with Trevor Bauer and talk about um, absolutely nothing. So that's another way to segue. <laughs> Great. Too awesome. harsh? Too no, harsh. no, you know, yeah, he's, he's his own person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We will be back. Uh, I believe we're back on Thursday. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes. All right. So we will be back on Thursday and we'll know what the Giants did in Los Angeles. They are facing the Dodgers. The last time they were there, it didn't go so swimmingly. So this is yet another test uh, on the strange journey of the 2021 Giants who just keep freaking winning. All right. Well, this has been episode 144 of the Bags of Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back. Back to talk about that series.